Luke chapter 2. We're going to look briefly at the, the Christmas story. Last week we looked at the, um, uh, the, the gift of, of, of joy. Um, and now we're going to look at uh, the gift of hope. And, and so in Luke chapter 2, I want us to begin with uh, Luke chapter 2, Matthew, Mark, Luke, third uh, gospel. Luke chapter 2, we're going to begin with um, uh, verse 1. And we'll just briefly just recount what we know about the Christmas story, and we'll end up with our passage of Scripture. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Does it sound like a good thing or a bad thing? Eh. I know most of us would look at that and say, well, I don't know. It sounds a little bit restrictive. It sounds like the, the Roman government is kind of putting the, uh, the, you know, putting the pressure on Roman society. And, um, and so the Bible says that all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee because their original town of origin was Bethlehem. So they traveled all the way from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth down into Judea to the city of David to the city of Bethlehem. And there they were to be registered. Now Mary is pregnant and the trip was hard and the trip was long and difficult. But in verse 6, the Bible says, So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the caravansky. Now, the inn, but uh, it was like a motel back then. They would have a, uh, they would have a, a place where you had some shelter under the wall, but there would be this big courtyard and people would just come in and they would bring their camels and they would bring their animals and, and they would be seeking lodging for the night. And the animals would stay in the courtyard and they would try to give you an opportunity to sleep under the porticos. But there was no room. No room. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for I be, behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Last week's sermon. This week's. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And so, Lord, as we look at this briefly, we pray for your blessing on each of us. In your name, Jesus, we ask this. Amen. Now, the word hope isn't in verse 11. It's not in there at all, but that doesn't matter. It doesn't mean that this isn't a passage of Scripture where I have to try to wrestle some information out. I think every single one of us sitting here reading this passage of Scripture, when we got to verse 11, said a little sigh of relief, probably if you were really involved in the reading of this. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. We recognize that word Savior, and you can replace that with the word hope if you want to under the circumstances. But that's what Christmas is all about. Christmas is all about the fact that a Savior is a person who comes and saves. 
A Savior is a person who comes and rescues. A Savior is a person who comes and delivers. And you have to have three things in order to meet the biblical criteria here. You have to have a situation of impending doom. You have to have a rescuer who is going to intervene. And then after you're rescued, it gives you a second chance, so to speak. That's what it's all about. And so when I see that word Savior, I look at that and I say, wow, this is great. Now, I realize that the people of Jesus' day were looking for a political Savior. They were looking for someone who was going to take them out of the clutches of the Roman Empire. Someone who was going to say, you know, let's get Rome out of our city. Let's get Rome out from the, I don't know if you know this or not, but at the temple site alone, the Romans had built this big, big observation area. Uh, overlooking the temple so that the Roman soldiers could walk around and look in the temple when the Jews were in the temple worshiping the Lord. Did you know that? I mean, that was intimidating enough to have the Roman legions stationed in Judea in order to make sure that everybody was going to comply with Roman law. And whatever the whim of the governor would be and whatever the whim of of, of Caesar Augustus would be, and now they're putting the thumbscrews on the people with a taxation that certainly is no doubt putting everybody uh, in a restless, restless, restless situation, wondering what on, Ro- what on earth Rome is going to do. And we know later on that it became a very oppressive thing for the people of Israel, for the Jewish people, because the, Rome's would, uh, the Roman government would hire people to go out and collect taxes and and say, well, this is what we want, but you can take whatever you want. You can take whatever you want. They were looking for a political leader. God had promised them that someone was going to, going to come uh, through the lineage of David, and, and, and God was going to bring about an eternal kingdom that would be political in nature. And that's what they're looking for. But you know, long before this is long before God has planned for this to happen, long before this, we're talking about a spiritual deliverer, someone to deliver us from the spiritual problem of sin and death. For there is born unto you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, I want you to think about this with me for just a moment because hope is extremely important. You cannot live this life without hope. You cannot live this life without being able to look forward to something down the road that's going to be light at the end of the tunnel or an expectation. You can't do it. You can't do it. It's impossible. Years ago, the S-4 submarine was ran by another ship and quickly sank. The entire crew was trapped in its prison house of death. Ships rushed to the scene of disaster off the coast of Massachusetts. Now, we don't know what took place down in the sunken submarine for the most part, We know that the men were waiting for rescue. They clung bravely to life as no doubt the oxygen level just decreased and decreased and decreased. And the diver was down to check things out and he placed his his ear, his helmeted ear to the side of the vessel and he listened and he heard a tapping noise. Someone Someone was tapping out a question in Morse code on the hull of the ship. And the question was this, is there any hope? Is there 
any hope. Now, we live in the most prosperous times of history. We live where we don't have to worry about where our next meal is coming from. We don't have to worry for the most part about um, anything. But you and I know how easily the lifestyle that we are used to could be disrupted. But even more importantly than that, you and I know what sin has done in our own lives. We, as a human race, are on a spiritual death row. I always feel for those who I hear about or read about who are on a physical death row. But you have to realize that the human race is on a spiritual death row. Because of our separation from God, because of our sin, we are waiting for the consequences of that sin, eternal death. No hope. No hope. Many times in the Bible, God says to us, well, there's just, do you, you, you look at this and there's certainly no hope in this world for you. Bertrand Russell is a common, my generation, now not for the younger generation, but for my generation, Bertrand Russell was a British philosopher, and in my generation, he was a household word. He was a household word, and as a, as a philosopher, he had determined that he wanted to be a, he, he, he wanted the world to know that he was a socialist. He wanted the world to know that he was liberal. He wanted the world to know that he was a humanist and he was agnostic. He didn't believe in God, that God was involved in this world at all. And so he wrote many, many years ago, A Free Man's Worship. Now notice, that's the title of his work, A Free Man's Worship. Sounds like a good title, doesn't it? Sounds like, oh, we're going to get something good here. Well, I'm going to read to you what Bertrand Russell said about that. He said this, quote, All the labor of the ages, all of the devotion, all the inspiration, all the noonday brightness of human genius are destined to extinction in the vast death of the solar system. Wow. The whole temple of man's achievement must inevitably be buried beneath the debris of a universe in ruins. That's a timely message. It's a timely message because we're seeing that in our society today. I don't, you know, that's why, we have to sh- that's why we have to mention it from the pulpit. We don't spend a lot of time with it. But that's why we have to mention it from the pulpit from time to time. Those who believe in global warming are exactly in Bertrand, Russell, Bertrand Russell's camp. And the lack of hope and the lack of understanding is stark to those of us who understand things a whole lot differently than that. You and I know that this world is not to be worshipped. We are worshipping this world as if, we, you know, you make an idol. You know, that's what idolatry is. You make an idol of something, and then you have to rescue the idol. That's how idolatry works. And it's a horrible, horrible, horrible outlook on life. And so I want you to think about this for a minute. It's very, very important. Now, you don't have to go back to Jeremiah chapter 3. I have just a couple of quick passages of Scripture that I want to share with you. In Jeremiah chapter 3, 
Jeremiah begins his book. Don't forget, the children of Israel are in a really bad situation. They are, they are living in a land that's not their own. They are under the oppression of the Babylonian Empire. And in Jeremiah chapter 3, the Bible says, God says to us in the 23rd verse, it's actually the last part of verse 22, Indeed, we do come to you. God is bringing a message to the people in their depression and in their, in their lack of hope. God is bringing this message, and He says, Indeed, we do come to you, for you are the Lord our God. You are the Lord our God. Truly in vain is salvation hoped for from the hills. Truly in vain is salvation hoped for from the multitude of mountains. The mountains aren't going to save you. The hills are not going to save you. The sun is not going to save you. The world is not going to save you. All of this is God's creation, and we need to look beyond all of this to the one who created it. Now, when I look beyond all of this to the one who created it, I go to bed at night. And I worry about it. Do you worry about it? I don't worry about it. My hope is not in, cre- in the created world that God gave to us. It is in the God of the creation. When, jo- when Job, and once again, you don't have to turn to this, but in Job, the 31st chapter... I give it, to you, give it to you because some of you are so quick, you can get to these passages quicker than I can. But in Job, the 31st chapter, verse 24, when Job is in his dire straits, lost his health, lost his wealth, lost his family, he's lost everything. And the Bible tells us that in his conversations with his three friends, in Job chapter 31, verse 24, I find this very interesting comment that he makes. And he makes many throughout the book. I just picked one I thought was really, really good. If I have made gold my hope, or said to find gold, you are my confidence. If I have rejoiced because my wealth was great, and because my hand had gained much, If I have observed the sun when it shines or the moon moving in the brightness so that my heart has been secretly enticed to trust these things, you can read the rest of the story. I would be a man that would be as as, as, uh, lacking, lacking, well, I'm I'm just trying to pick a nice way to say it. Listen, Your money isn't going to save you. Your position in life isn't going to save you. None of these things are going to save you. And then when I think of this, I think of two passages of Scripture, and I don't know know if this is a humorous way to put this or not, but I think of Isaiah chapter 40, where God kind of gives gives it to us lightly. He gives to us the reality of all this lightly. And in, in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 6 and following, the voice said, cry out. And he said, what shall I cry? Isaiah is getting a message from God. What shall I cry? Well, what does it say? He's to cry. All flesh is grass. Well, that's great, isn't it? All fresh flesh is grass. And all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. Because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The gra- and he says it again. The grass withers, the flower fades, 
But, what does it say? The Word of God, what? Endures forever. Now, that's, that's the nice way of putting it. I mean, that eases us into the truth of God's Word. That you know what? When I look out there and I see the seasons change and I see the flowers come up and I see them die and I see the grass fade and it gets cut down and I see all of that stuff, I'm reminded that, you know, all of this stuff is temporary and, but the Word of God is going to last forever. Now, he really puts the punch to it in Matthew chapter 24, which I do want you to look at. Matthew chapter 24, New Testament. Matthew chapter 24, Jesus has just left the temple. He has left the temple with the disciples last week of his ministry. He has, uh, the disciples have a lot of questions. He's going to be crucified in just a couple of days. And in Matthew chapter 24, he goes down into the Kidron Valley and he walks up onto the slopes of the Mount of Olives and he sits there with the disciples and he has a nice powwow with them. He has a nice conversation with them where they begin to ask him questions about, well, you know, when's, when's the, when, when, is the, when is the time of judgment going to come? I'll just paraphrase all of that. Because in Matthew chapter 24, and you have headings probably in your Bible, it talks about the signs of the times and the end of the age. When's the end of the age was their specific question. It talks about the great tribulation period. It talks about the coming of the Son of Man. And then you have this very interesting little parable that Jesus gives and says, well, you're going to try to figure out when the end of the age is. You're going to try to figure out when, when, uh, when judgment day is coming and when God is going to take this world and he's going to, He's going to change it. And notice what Jesus says in verse 32. This is critical. Now learn this parable from the fig tree when its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves. You have hope that summer is coming, right? That's, that's why I can get through the winter, by the way. I loved winter when I was a kid. More snow, the better. The more snow, the better. But I'm loving this. Uh, if this could go this whole way this winter, it'd be fine. I'll drive up in the mountains and get some snow up there at Seven Springs every once in a while. And, and it can snow. It can snow till, till noon, you know, it, but it has to melt. It has to melt by noon, like Camelot, you know. That's my thinking about all of this. But I'm telling you what, I'm really liking this. My hope is that spring is going to come. And so here is Jesus saying to his disciples, when you see, when you see things budding, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things I have just described, you'll know that it is near at the door, and then, he, pull, then, he, then he, he doesn't pull the punch. He really shares what we all need to understand. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Then, if you weren't getting what he was saying, what does he say in verse 35? Everybody together. Heaven and earth will pass away but my words will by no means pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. I, you know, I'm scared to death to read that to some of these global warm climate changers. I'm afraid they're going to have a heart attack right on the spot. Listen, I'm serious about this. The world, the heavens can pass away. The earth can pass away. It does not matter because God's words will never, under any circumstances, pass away. Now, am I wrapped up into God's plan and program? 
as far as this world is concerned, as far as life is concerned? Am I wrapped up in his plan and purpose? Everybody say, yeah. Well, you are too. You are too. So let me ask you this question. Do you have to worry if heaven and earth passes away? Do you have anything to worry about? Nope, not a thing. Not a thing. Don't have to worry about a thing. See, that's what hope does. That's what hope does. Now, I, 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 I want you to realize, because this is the message today, I want you to realize the importance of hope. Hope is critical for our lives. We, we really need it. It's, uh, if, if we, cannot, if we not, cannot go home and live in hope, and, and what you hope in is important, really is important. And so the important thing is to remember that we all have this horrible, horrible, this wonderful need for hope. Let's put it that way, instead of doing a double negative here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 7 through 10, I love the way the Apostle Paul puts this. He says, listen. He says, listen, and I'm going to just go to verse 10, uh, verse 9 rather. He says, it's written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, because the oxen should be able to work with the hope that he can eat. You know, he has given two illustrations before this, but verse 10 says, or does he say it all together for, you know, it's in the law of Moses. So but if, you have any, if you have any beef about all of this, you're going to have to talk to the Lord about whether or not you believe the law of Moses. But for our sakes, no doubt, this is written in, in Corinthians, that he who plows should plow in hope. Yes or no? Yes. He who plows should plow in hope. And he who threshes, should he be able to thresh in hope? Yes or no? Yes or no? And so that we should together be partakers of this hope. Now, I'm going to wrap this up because we have to. But I, I, I want you to know that the conclusion of this whole matter is that we need to make sure that our hope is well placed. Because if it isn't well placed, you know invariably what happens, don't you? Invariably we say, well, I, I hope so. But that kind of hope doesn't really cut it, does it? Well, I hope so. Maybe it'll happen and maybe it won't. But I sure hope it will. But if your hope is well placed, that's not what you have to worry about, is it? You say, yep, my hope is in the Lord who made heaven and earth. My hope is in the Savior. Jesus gave us great hope when he came and decided to be, had decided to be our rescuer, our deliverer, our savior from the impending doom of death. We're all in doom buggies until we're saved, right? We're all in doom buggies until we're saved by Christ. But that's the hope, and it's a sure hope. It's nothing that I have to worry about. And so... Um, because of that hope, I can be patiently waiting for the uh, conclusion 
of God's plan and purpose for me, right? And we all know what that is. But Christmas is all about hope. So think about this. If I were to give you an application based on the fact that I've had to scrap all the rest of this today, I would say that the application would be that you and I need to think seriously about Christian and all the hope that God brings to the world through Christ. And then share it. Share it. Send a card. Talk to people about it. This is a good time when no one, well, I don't know. It sounds like some people would be very uh, concerned if you said, well, Merry Christmas, what's Christmas? You see, but as a general rule, most people are okay. They're inclined to listen to you when you say that. And so it's important for us to share the hope that we have because it's a certain hope. Amen? All right, well, we're going to have to quit there for today. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word and We pray in your precious name that you would remind us that born 2,000 years ago in the city of Bethlehem was a Savior, Christ the Lord. Lord, thank you for coming. Thank you for the hope that you've given to us. Thank you for the hope that we can live by and thrive by. Thank you in your most precious name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand together as we close our service with a song. Thou didst leave thy throne and thy kingly crown when thou camest to earth for me. 116 in the hymn book. We sang the first stanza this last week. We invite you to come to Christ. We invite you to, in your own heart, to recognize that this Christmas story starts with a baby in a manger. It ends with the crucifixion of Christ who died as a sacrifice for our sin and the resurrection as a promise of eternal life and a resurrection for us personally.